Yeah, I, I think that or like one nil either way. Although I could also see, I could see the way the U.S. has started to come together. I could kind of see them maybe getting like a two nil win again. Yeah, man, it just wouldn't have been as good. You know, England, England, they were they were swashbuckling. Oh, I mean, this that one could have been like if they caught the U.S. off guard, that could have been like maybe a, a four three final, which would have been awesome. I mean, dude, you know, Samson may seriously be the next England manager. And I'm talking the men's team. No, I agree. I I think he'd be a very good choice. <sighs> because that guy, wow. I mean, he just he had a fantastic World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, you can't base everything on a World Cup, especially he's a women's coach. But, you know, I mean, he had good ideas. You know, they played with flair. They played with pace. I mean, they play the way that everyone in England kind of wants to play. Well, that's the thing. He's he's someone who's willing to kind of go and, and be sort of more outside the box and play a more exciting style of football instead of good old English pragmatism. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, yeah, he he had. I mean, he had really no pressure on him in this tournament. True. I mean, as we've talked about, England didn't really give a rip. <laughs> Yeah, they do now. So now it'll be like a freaking hot seat where, you know, somebody will lose their job if they don't get back to the semifinal. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know, man. I mean, he just – it was it was an exciting an exciting run. Yeah, oh, no. I thought it was – I thought it was great. Um, Tonight we raised this glass of formerly English tea yeah. to you ladies. And we say huzzah, game on, and Ed – Let's start the show. We will start the all-new sports of the podcast. You know, I wanted USA, Japan, and England, Germany. No reason. You know, just just kind of turned out that way. Not, not sure. That has no subtext whatsoever. But welcome. Rematch. Welcome. Welcome to the all-new sports show, the podcast of subtext. I am Edward Green, joined as always by my colleague Wes Bradshaw, and we are here in the studio with producer Desmond McManus. Uh, of course, the all-new sports of the podcast is being brought to you by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com, where at NGSC Sports, we never stop. Plenty to talk about on today's episode of the podcast. A lot, a lot, a lot of soccer to discuss. We have Women's World Cup, as you may have heard, Wes and I, excuse me, discussing pre-pod. We are literally less than an hour out of uh, the Women's World Cup final being cemented after England loses an absolute heartbreaker to Japan. We will recap that as well as what's going on in Copa America, where some other people are having some pretty bad weeks as well. We'll talk a little under-21s for Euros, the silly season that's turning rather serious, talk a little baseball and basketball, and then hit the zeitgeist for Watch 4 and So Raw. And if you want to tell us about what's going on in your neck of the woods, you can hit us up on the social media. You can get us on Twitter, at All News Sports Show, 
at Wes Bradshaw 21 or at Edward Green. You can find us on Facebook, All New Sports Show, Instagram, All New Sports Show, YouTube, The All New Sports Show, and email us, All New Sports Show at gmail.com. Lastly, you can plain old mail us your letters and parcels to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. Wes, let us hop right in. When last we left this Women's World Cup, we had just entered the quarterfinals, and now on this Wednesday evening, we have a final cemented for this weekend. And the results of that from the quarterfinals were U.S. won, China nil, Germany won, France won, Germany advancing 5-4 on penalties, Japan won, Australia nil, and England 2, Canada 1 as the hosts go down. In the semifinals, it was the United States 2, Germany 0. United States has now beaten Germany four straight times in the World Cup. And Japan 2, England 1, as we just discussed, a heartbreaker for England. Uh, Wes, where do you kind of want to start? I'll, I'll leave it up to you. You you steer this ship of, of which matches you want to talk about. And, uh, you know, July 1st is a is a really underrated big day. Yeah. You know, um, it's the start of the transfer window. It's a two-month transfer window. We're definitely going to talk about that. Um, and it's Bobby Bonilla Day. Yes, I saw that on your Facebook. It's one of the greatest days of the year where Bobby Bonilla, who has not touched a bat in a Major League Baseball team for, I believe, 13 years, gets a check every year from the New York Mets for $1.19 million. So nice. Because somehow he came up with the greatest agent in history and turned the final year of $5.9 million into about $29 million. Yep. Sheer brains. Sheer brains. I was not a Bonilla fan, but you got to give it up to him in retirement. He has the greatest retirement of all time. And, Ed, right now as I send you a, uh, a text message, the most important of all things today, July 1st, it's Canada Day, Ed. Yes, it is. It is Canada Day, Ed, and uh, I know that's important to some people that I know. I've just sent you a text, which I think will show just how important Canada Day is to me. Oh, fantastic. Can't wait to get it. Uh, So, I mean, here we are. It's Canada Day, Ed. Let's let's start in the Great White North. Let's let's start with the Women's World Cup. (laughs) Sorry. 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 Sorry, eh? Oh, let's start. Um, let's, I guess, start. We'll talk a little bit about the quarterfinals uh, since those have already taken place uh, a couple days ago. We will discuss them, though. Let's start with Germany 1, France 1. Sausage, you know, she had to score a penalty sometimes. Sausage, Sausage defeated Baguette. Oh, yeah, in, in more ways than one. Celia Sausage equalized the proceedings in the 84th minute on a penalty after France's Luisa Nassib got the scoring started for France in the 64th. It then went into penalties after France missed a wide open net in about the 117th minute that could have put the match away. It didn't. It went to penalties. Germany made all five of theirs as they are wont to do. France made their first four until finally falling when Claire Lavaguez missed her penalty. Actually, it was saved by uh, German goalkeeper Nadine Anger, Anger, excuse me, and Germany advanced. But West France has to be ruining the opportunity that they missed 
to eventually lose to the United States in the semifinals. Germany, the number one ranked team in the world, but I truly believe that most people saw them as underdogs against France. And, I mean, I don't think there's anything other to say than France. France choked. Yeah, they, absolutely. In, in their words, they lay blue it. Le bleu, le bleu. Oh, I make myself laugh sometimes, folks. That's what I do best. Um, they have the most opportunities. They dominate. I, I felt throughout the game they actually dominated Germany. Germany were extremely fortunate to get back into that match and score that equalizer. Yes. Um, France had their shot. It just seems Germany is kind of a you know, much like when it comes to uh, war. Um, the Germans find a way to beat the French. It's it's what they do. Uh, France again would rue its opportunities. Um, but again, this was one of those tournaments where all the draws seemed to kind of favor one side. And this was discussed at length, Wes. I'm sure we'll talk about it more, especially once we get to U.S. Germany. But, I mean, Germany, the number one team in the world. France, the number three team in the world. And the winner had to go play the number two team in the world. Obviously, there's not a lot you can sometimes do about that in a World Cup, the draw being random and all. But does something like this maybe need to be looked at in future World Cups where you don't have the top three teams in the world on all one side of the bracket? Oh, I don't have too big a problem with it. I think it was it was just luck of the draw. Um, would it have been cooler? Yeah. I mean, would it have been cooler to see, you know, a U.S.-Germany final or U.S.-France final? Sure. But, I mean, it's what it is. I don't think uh, after the tournament this year, I don't think we need to be reinventing the wheel here no. at the Women's World Cup. Um, it, it's, it's turning out okay. Yeah, absolutely. And let's continue that on with uh, China versus the United States. China loses 0-1 to as Carly Lloyd puts the United States through in their white, black, and neon green patriotic colors. Uh, Carly Lloyd with the goal in the 51st minute. As we may have started to see, sort of a bit of the change in the guard, finally, from Jill Ellis. Uh, she would make even more drastic changes before the Germany match. But in this 4-4-2 that she still wanted to play, this time, instead of pairing with Alex Morgan, either Abby Wambach or Sydney LaRue, it was Amy Rodriguez who took her place up top. Wambach did come on in the 86th minute to replace her, but by then, that was just to uh, kill off a little bit more of the clock. Wes, United States dominated most of that match, uh, really looked for the first time all tournament long, very, very dangerous, and really, if they had taken a few more chances, could have easily beaten China by multiple goals. Um, of course, my biggest takeaway from the match was uh, were the uh, crazy awesome U.S. uniforms, which I'm sure were made in China. Yes. So, anyway. Um, you know, Jill Ellis, we talked about her last week. Maybe she listened to the podcast because we talked about her Hi, pragmatic Jill. approach. Hi, Jill. Uh, we talked about that pragmatic approach. You know, yes, and it works so far, but to really move on in this tournament and have a real opportunity to win at the U.S., we're going to have to open things up. And we'll get to it a little more in the Germany game where they really seem to open it up. Uh, but Jill finally taking the reins off of some of her playmakers. She gave Alex Morgan a little more room to operate. And Alex Morgan, while not putting many balls in the back of the net of this tournament, but she has been dangerous at every turn. 
Oh, yeah, she has been such a great creator. Uh, we'll talk about it in the Germany match. She's missed a few opportunities that you feel maybe a 100% a going into the tournament Morgan would have converted. But she's been very, very good at playmaking, finding opportunities for her teammates, and still trying to make the most of the opportunities she gets herself. Uh, elsewhere, it was Australia nil, Japan won. Japan leaves it late this game as well as the next. Iwabushi, the super sub, comes on uh, and scores a goal in the 87th minute to put the the uh, Japan Japanese side on top of Australia. A valiant effort by the Australians. Looked like they had their chances as well, but that base Japan team just manages to confound uh, opposing offenses, and Japan escapes, yes, escapes with another win, and they would do it again today, obviously, but Wes, uh, not much to say on this match, except Japan just kind of got lucky and took advantage of their one opportunity late. Japan, God, Japan are that team that we always figure are going to lose early in something, mm -hmm. and then they just, they find a way to win everything. And, I mean, not to say that's not the mark of a champion. Who's to say that? Because they are still your reigning world champions, and they're back to defend their title. Oh, it is not an aesthetically pleasing on-the-eye game to watch uh, to watch Japan play. They play a lot of, you know, a lot of people behind the ball. They look to hit you with a counterattack. They look to let you make a mistake, and then they come and bite you with it. Um, like I said, not the most aesthetically pleasing thing on earth to watch, but it's effective. And they have found a way to, once again, uh, find victory for the land of the rising sun. And they, uh, as we said, we'll get to in a few minutes, they have found their way through to the finals. Uh, now we move over to Vancouver, where it was England 2, Canada 1. The host nation ends their run in the tournament as two players for England score in the span of three minutes in the first 15. It was Jody Taylor and Lucy Bronze. Bronze with her second goal of the tournament, for she had the cracker of a goal against Norway to win it. And this one would prove to be the match winner as well. Christy Sinclair of Canada brought them back within one in the 42nd minute. The Canadian side was fired up but it was not meant to be. England wins, and West, this sort of sort of magical run for England continues. They really stunned the host nation in those first 15, and it was just a hole that Canada could never really dig themselves out of. You know, England, they were not fancied as one of the top teams in this tournament coming in, um, but they have, I mean, as you said, they've just kind of found a way. You know, England, sort of like Japan, but in a much more um, pleasing <laughs> to yes. the eye way of doing it, uh, they have found a way to win their matches and just, you know, just keep fighting their way through. Real quick, I'm pulling up the uh, FIFA women's rankings uh, as we go into this, and that didn't tell me anything. Screw you, World Cup. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm very prepared, folks, as always. Yeah. But, Joe, this is an England team who, <laughs> when we speak, obviously, of the of the Barclays Premier League, well, the Premier League now, whatever the hell they're calling it now, 
you know, we're talking about one of, if that, not the most compellingly good football leagues in the world. By the way, England came into this ranked sixth, sixth in the world. So I guess you don't call it a crazy Cinderella run. Right. But when you look at the likes of Sweden, France, USA, Brazil, Canada, Germany, you figure those are better teams than England. Yes. Um, the, uh, the Lady Lionesses. They showed a very, very good team spirit. Mm-hmm. And we all passioned them. Yes, you did. We, we played like 11 best friends. Oh, that's my new favorite thing is 11 best friends. 11 best friends. We all passioned them. And I, I really can't say, I can't say but so much about them. I mean, you know, the coach, uh, Samson, was fantastic. And this is a guy who... You know, he's a Welshman, does not have a real long track record as a manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is literally his third head coaching gig. <laughs> his last one, he kind of stunk at. Uh, but, you know, he's taken the England job, and this was probably not the most attractive job when he got it, but he has really done it. He's made his own. He's made himself a name in England. Um, looking up their roster, a lot of their players uh, were are actually from Manchester City. Huh. Um, including Lucy Bronze. Um, when I, I looked up a few things about the, you know, the women's, it's called the uh, Women's Super League. Yes. In England, it's not the it's not the Premier League like everyone figure. Um, Liverpool uh, have been very good in the Super League over the last few years. Uh, Farah Williams, the score today for England, uh, is the Liverpool captain. Um, she holds the record for the most caps. In the uh, in English women's football, 145 caps going into today. Um, let's throw it this way: she's a 31-year-old midfielder who has an eye for goal and a uh, a great keen killer pass. Sound like any other Liverpool captain you've ever known of? No. <laughs> who's who's good from the penalty spot as well? <laughs> um, but a lot of players from Manchester City. Um, Arsenal is a very good has a very good women's team. Um, so, you know, it's a small kind of group of players who a lot of them play together and know each other well. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it was really, really cool to see this team come together to jail and then to be able to do what most England teams don't do on a world stage. And that's actually exceed expectations. Yes. So, um, you know, great on the lady Linus's. It'd be awesome if they could have won it. Uh, be really interesting to see if they can win that third place game against Germany. You know that one's going to have, uh, you know, going to have a lot of uh, blood between the two of them. Oh. I don't mean blood. You know, the bad German England blood. Yeah, that's going to mean something. So it's cool, but uh, just a great, great run for England. And of course, we'll get to how it ended in just a moment. Uh, last, we'll discuss on this match. Um... What do, what do you think about the Canadians' run? They make it to the quarterfinals as the host nation. Uh, some may have thought they would have gone even farther. I believe you actually picked them to make the finals from that side of the bracket, which is was not an outlandish pick by any sense of the imagination. Um, disappointing, then, to end in the, uh, the quarterfinals against England? I would say so. I would say it was disappointing just because, you know, you're the host nation – you are a top eight. Uh, Canada ranked eighth in the last FIFA women's uh, rankings. You're ranked eighth in the world. You're at home. 
you figure that's got to be worth something. You figure that's got to be worth something. And uh, they just, you know, they come up short. Now, yes, I mean, in the quarterfinals, that basically means you finished in the final eight. So I guess that's where Canada should have been. I think Canada had higher hopes. A, seeing their draw that, man, we're not going to see the U.S., Canada, or the U.S., Germany, or France until the finals. Right. Uh, seeing Brazil go out, you know, uh, England and Japan in your way, I think Canada would have felt somewhat uh, confident that they could have gotten through that. Absolutely. So, I, I do say a little disappointed for Canada. Yeah, well, we'll see how they manage to regroup. Still a good run by them in this tournament. As we move to the semifinals, it was United States v. Germany on Tuesday, and the United States pulled out a 2-0 win against the German side. Carly Lloyd coolly converted a 69th-minute penalty, and Kelly O'Hara, Stanford product, put the match away with a great uh, goal, uh, I believe set up by Alex Morgan, uh, right in front of the penalty area. She buried it in the 84th minute. The United States gets a big 2-0 win over the Germans. Of course, also in that match, Sausage, who we mentioned in that game against France, ended up missing a penalty early on in the second half, and that was really when the big momentum shifted. Of course, there was also calls uh, on that penalty for Julie Johnson, who may have so far been the United States' best player so far in this Women's World Cup, to see a straight red, only given yellow. Sausage misses the penalty, and then just about 15 minutes later, Carly Lloyd just maybe outside the penalty area as she was going into the penalty area. Um... Alex Morgan was actually called uh, on the foul there, and then Lloyd stepped up and took the penalty, converted against Andrew, and the United States won. But Wes, after maybe about the first five or six minutes when you thought, well, Germany's just going to attack, 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 the USA is going to have to find a way to counterattack, the USA really settled down, played a very comfortable match, and really looked to be the more aggressive side for large swaths of this game. And I don't think that's in any small part to a complete change in formation this game for Jealous, going to a 4-2-3-1, a very Spursy 4-2-3-1 with Brian and Holiday as your two in front of the back four, and then Rapino, Carly Lloyd, and Tobin Heath playing in that midfield with Heath and Rapino out wide, and Alex Morgan up top is really your lone striker. It really seemed to do well. Alex Morgan had a chance, I believe, the 14th minute. Clear through on goal. Andrew made a great save to deny her of a goal-scoring opportunity. And really, though, the United States looked very, very strong in attack, which is probably why they're right now 2-1 to favorites over Japan going into the final. Well, not only that, you know, they did start off in the 4-2-3-1. After a while, they actually pushed into about a 4-3-3 with Heath and Rapino going up top on the wing uh, on either side of Morgan. Mm-hmm. When they did that, Germany were just completely overwhelmed by the pace and the power of that U.S. team. Um, you know, the United States unlucky early not to have an early lead. Alex Morgan, we can see, is not 100%. Um, you know, she is, she's healthy. We're going to put that way. She's healthy, but she is not the informed striker that, um, American fans have come to know and love, uh, at the moment. But as we said, she is doing just enough with what she can do that, uh, she has been indispensable to the U S 
Um, she is right now undroppable, completely undroppable. She is the most dangerous player on the United States team. Um, and then when you've got someone like a Megan Rapino who has just been, I mean, she may be the player of the tournament when this thing's said and done. Uh, you know, the U.S. attack is potentially, potentially at every moment is devastating. Um, they just, they just got to be able to pop in a couple of goals. Let me ask you about those two uh, penalty calls, though, both controversial for different reasons. Uh, again, Julie Johnston looked like it was a denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, and that is supposed to be a straight red. Again, only given a yellow card for that. And, of course, uh, the foul on Alex Morgan looked like it took place outside the area. The official judged it to be inside the area. It was very, very, very close. Even on replays, it was still pretty close. Um, what were your uh, two opinions of it um, in terms of the match, how it was presented? Uh, Julie Johnston, extremely, extremely fortunate not to get a red card because not only would that have dropped the United States down to 10 players, Johnston would have been uh, suspended for the final. Mm-hmm. That would have been a disaster for the United States for uh, for her to be on red if they would have even gotten to the final at that point. Um, I hope Solo may have gotten away with uh, a little bit of time wasting there, mm-hmm. in which fact uh, she may have iced the German kicker. But you know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like it was said. It wasn't like the official was telling her to hurry up. So yeah. <laughs> uh, being the smart. The extremely smart international goalkeeper that she is, she just kind of took her time until someone said something to her. No one ever did, so she went at her pace. Uh, maybe was in the head of uh, the German. And then Alex Morgan, yeah, you know, Alex Morgan got absolutely hammered. I mean, it was a WWE slash NFL yes. style hit. Um, it was a step or two outside the box. I mean, the only thing I can think the official may have been thinking was that, you know, I mean, she was obviously going into the box. So I'm just going to give her, you know, kind of like we're doing football. Let me give her forward progress. You're going to give her the continuation. <laughs> exactly. We're going to give her the continuation of the play. So um, that's the only way I can go. I'm Germany, I'm not very happy with the penalty call at all. You know, I'm definitely fighting tooth and nail on if I'm the Germans. Um, but uh, Germany had their opportunity to really, if not put the sword to the United States with that early penalty, the earlier penalty, they have the opportunity to put a massive amount of pressure on the U.S. Because everyone knew if the Germans got in front of you, you were pretty much done. And the U.S. had all this pressure to win the match. Um, So Germany missed an absolute golden opportunity. Uh, Might have had a chance to put the U.S. away earlier and not get it done. Yeah, at the end of the day, the, as as I think both you and I have come into agreement, as we've gotten a little bit older and a little more mature, we, we don't we tend not to want to blame officials for losses or wins, and no. and at the end of the day, the Germans, while Julie Johnston was very fortunate not to draw red, the Germans had a chance. They were still given a penalty, and they mm-hmm. still could have taken advantage of it and gone up one nil. And like you said, it would have been very tough, even with 11 men, for the United States to come back and win that match. They didn't take advantage of it, and that's what happens. And then when the United States had an opportunity to put Germany to the sword and get that second goal, they did. And that's exactly what a team is supposed to do when presented the opportunity. The United and States. And the thing is, for, for Germany, that was literally the one missed opportunity of the entire tournament for Germany. 
Yeah. I mean, they have been so good. They have been so ruthless. They have been so, dare we say, so German. Yes. And uh, and suddenly they <laughs> suddenly they uh, they went they went completely England on all of us. They missed a penalty kick, which is like a German birthright to hit your penalty kicks. First women's World Cup penalty missed by a German side. I mean, Germans, God, men, women, uh, Bruce Jenner's, they don't miss. <laughs> they don't miss. Uh, That's terrible. That's Germany. awful. That is. Well, I just wanted to include everyone. I didn't want to, you know, Miley Cyrus has taught me that uh, man or woman isn't the only gender, apparently. So whatever. Nobody cares about Miley Cyrus, though. Um, Billy Ray does. Well, maybe a little Love too much. Love you, BR. Don't my heart. Uh, Germany, though, does go down, and they will be playing in the third-place match on Saturday, and quite frankly, no one likes to play an angry German. Now we go to the other semifinal. Again, heartbreak. Japan to England won a pair of penalties, seven minutes apart, uh, put it at 1-1. First one for Japan, uh, Japan that was taken by Aya Miyama, and the second one by England converted by Farrah Williams. And then in the 92nd minute, an unfortunate own goal by Laura Bassett as she was looking to clear a ball that was heading into the box, kicked it right into her own goal. Goal line technology verified it, although, quite frankly, any replay. Yeah, exactly. So even though it took about a minute and a half for Fox's graphics to change on it, it did count. Uh, and just absolute devastation for England and their side. Japan goes through. And it's one of those situations, Wes, the, the United States may have benefited from a few calls against Germany, but there's no question, I think, in anybody's mind, the United States was certainly the better side in that match. But in this match, almost universally, England viewed as the better side in this one, and they're getting sent home. Laura Bassett, unfortunately for her, uh, had the look... There was just there was one moment that the camera caught her face, and I'm not lying at all. She was almost the female doppelganger of John Terry after he missed the penalty against Man United in the Champions League final those mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, I mean, she she had the John Terry look of, oh my God, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. And we're not talking about John Terry getting caught in bed with someone else's wife, which would never happen by any means. No, of course not. Um, you know, we we don't slander on this show. Nope. Uh, but, you know, I think the text I sent you was that was the most English thing I've ever seen an England team do. Yeah. And, and you know, we joke about it. I, I'm, I'm obviously, folks, I'm a big England fan. Um, and I have seen my share of heartbreak over the years in just ways where you just shake your head. And this just goes right into the highlight reel. Yep. I mean, this is, this is, this is Beckham, you know, stomping – on the Portuguese player. This is Rooney doing the same thing and stomping on the Portuguese player. <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is Frank Lampard's uh, clear goal being disallowed against Germany, and then we end up, instead of it being 1-1, we end up down 3-0 at halftime. Yeah. Oh, it, it was just it was right there on par. Usually England lose these uh, kinds of tournaments in the quarterfinals on penalty kicks, usually to Portugal or Germany, or really whoever we play, it doesn't matter. Uh, Edwards eighth grade soccer team, um, and it, you know England England football fans are, I mean they're kind of Red Sox like, so you know it's kind of interesting that uh, 
you know, Fenway Sports Group owns a major English club because England in general are so like Boston Red Sox fans uh, up until 2004. All we wait for is the other shoe to drop. Yep. It's like, you know, England fans understand that as soon as you really buy in, as soon as you buy in, it's over. You're dead. Uh, And I think that's almost what happened here. Finally, you know, the, the the people in England were like, well, hey, we got this Women's World Cup. Boys ain't going to win anytime soon. Let's get behind <laughs> the ladies. And I believe everyone in England was crazy excited. They watched it today, and all of them went off say, oh, yeah, Tulsa. And, of course, we because of the time difference, uh, this match ended up starting at midnight English time. So, so if you stayed up for it, you were extra pissed off. Yes. <laughs> you are extra freaking pissed if you're an England fan in England who stayed up for this match. Yeah. Um, just very disappointing. Uh, the English girls played their hearts out. I, I'm not sure who hit, uh, but there was one, I believe, in the 73rd minute who took a shot from outside the penalty area and just ricocheted right off the crossbar. I they hit just, the crossbar three times in the second half. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was just so disappointing that such a great performance comes down to something like that. And it's just, it's so... So depressing. I was actually really looking forward to maybe a USA-England final, which would have been so epic for so many reasons. Um, instead, I, have, I would not have had a loser that day. Yeah. I mean, I would have won either way because, you know, while, while I do not share your intense passion for uh, the United States men's national team, who I kind of think are pretenders, I love my women's national team. Oh, you do. I've been a fan since the 90s, folks. I'm talking pre-Chastain. And that was before I actually even liked soccer. I like the American women. <laughs> you love American women. I like American women's. Wes loves two things, men and American women. Men and American women. Oh, uh, just I guess, just lastly, just sum up the run for England, uh, making it all the way to the semifinals here and coming within basically 90 seconds of taking Japan to extra time? Um, let's say, I think they exceeded expectations. So once again, England fans don't expect. <laughs> you know, they've learned when you expect, bad shit happens to you. Um, so the expectations were low. I think they expected England to make the knockout round. Um, but I, I think England just, they, they, they had a really good tournament. They played a good tournament. They were this close. You know, you could see after the match, you know, it was really interesting watching their interviews because the players, they weren't blaming the ref. They, God, I mean, they were, I I thought the players were just fantastic after the match with their interviews. They were, you know, they were owning up to it. But they were also standing proud and saying, you know, we did a heck of a job, and we know we did a heck of a job. We have one bad moment, and that's what's kind of doomed us here. But, you know, I think they felt that they came out and showed themselves very well. And I 100% agree that they showed themselves very well. And um, I, I bet there's going to be a good, I bet it's going to be a good number uh, TV wise that watched this match tonight. Where the U S women's match pulled a seven. Yeah. Oh, it was a seven. I heard last time I heard it was a 6.1. Oh no. Well, Colin Coward today was saying it was like a six, nine, seven. Well, Colin Coward. But still, still, it beat. It did beat. Uh, I did read. It did beat. Uh, I believe Game Six of the Stanley Cup Finals 
and uh, something else. Uh, we beat like every NLCS game from last year, just decimated those. Yeah. Those were pulling like two eights, I think. Um, yeah. So, well, and I guess to be a little fair, I believe the NLCSs were on Fox Sports 1, whereas this match was on Fox. <laughs> Well, that, that's why I want to see what the what it was for this match, because you know this these were two non US teams mm-hmm. uh, playing on Fox Sports One. Mm-hmm. So, or well, they were on Fox Sports. Yeah, but still, you know, still basically same thing here. I, it might be the same thing actually. It is Fox Sports yeah. One is Fox yeah. Sports. Okay, so basically, we'll we'll see tomorrow when the ratings come out. I'm interested to see them. Because I just think a lot of people got into it. And I think when you had England versus Japan, I think that had some decent name value because, A, you had the defending world champions and you had England, which just worldwide, England, you either love them or you hate them, but they're interesting. Yes. (laughs) There's no doubting England's usually interesting. So um, I'm excited to see what the rating was more. Yeah, man, we can't hate Cowherd. Cowherd is very good with the TV ratings. Uh, and the and by the way, the only reason I happened to listen to Cowher today was uh, we can talk about later. Did you hear about the Jim Harbaugh interview? <laughs> wow! Yes. Wow, that was beyond amazing. We can talk about that later. Um, <laughs> let's let's make our picks. Uh, Germany v England on July fourth, and United States versus Japan July fifth. Uh, no subtext in these matches whatsoever. Wes, who do you have winning each of them? Oh, God. 3-1 Germany. I hate it, but I think my, I think my English ladies are... They, they gave everything. They gave everything. And the way they lost, I don't think they bounced back. And, I mean, God, it's England-Germany. We don't win that match anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say U.S. 2, Japan nil. I'm also going to take U.S. 2, Japan nil. I'm going to take... Germany won, England won, Germany wins 5-3 on penalties. That's fitting. (laughs) So English. That's just proper. Oh, proper way to go out. Oh, Wes, let's go to another tournament where there's been less feel-goodness and a whole lot more hand-rigging. It's the Copa America 2015. As we have set up a final and a third-place match in this as well, uh, it's going to be Argentina versus Chile uh, in the championship and Paraguay versus Peru in the third place match on Saturday. Uh, Argentina destroying Paraguay 6-1. Lionel Magisterial Messi has three assists. Angel De Maria can apparently play for Argentina. He scored two goals. Four others scored as well, including Marcus Rojo and Javier Pastore. Uh, this Argentina team looks to take on now. Chile, who narrowly and controversially beat Peru 2-1. to one. Uh, Wes, this has been a crazy tournament. What have you kind of taken away from it? I think we've got the best final, and that even includes a Brazil team that, you know, now, now Ed, I know you, you have a little more insight on Brazil, having the Familia connections down there. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, this is not a classically good Brazil team. Have they got players? Of course they've got players. Have they got names? Of course they've got names. Are they really that great? Well, it, no. It's just like in that the article I sent you, which I believe is from The Guardian, um, where it's where it's basically taking that the, the, the Jogo Bonito 
as we love to call it, um, which I know I just butchered, sorry, mom, uh, is, is, is basically dead in this country. Um, I, you know, you can, you can say it's because of the players and, and the type of players that they have right now. Neymar being basically the only real playmaker they have on this team. You could talk about the coach Dunga uh, being much more of that Jill Ellis pragmatist and, and just wanting that sort of grit, hard-nosedness and wanting to kind of go away from the beautiful gameplay style. But really, you know, Arsene Wenger, Arsene Wenger of all people, saying in an interview with the Wall Street uh, Journal, they don't produce any, they don't produce anything anymore. Even in midfield, they're good, but they're not the great Brazilians of the past. Um, and so when Arsene's saying that, man, you've you've really hit a low. But again, this well, they're, not, they're not French, so he doesn't care to sign them anyway. So. Exactly. Uh, but you're right. I think. I think more than anything, I believe Argentina is going to come out and, and beat Chile, even though Chile is the host country. Uh, and I think they might actually beat them somewhat comfortably. But I, I think that is, and, and you may disagree, and that's fine. Um, I, I think one of the bigger stories of this tournament is, yeah, Brazil's loss against Germany 7-1 in the World Cup was shocking and, and scary. This, was so, this loss was just so run-of-the-mill by the numbers that you're just like, well, Brazil's just kind of another team now. And I think that might be the big takeaway, uh, other than anything to do with Edinson Cavani from this tournament. But I, I, you might have disagreements on that. Well, and I mean, here's, here's the thing with Brazil. I mean, you know, it was weird because when, before Neymar went out, all you were hearing was, well, you know, they rely on Neymar too much. You know, the other guys are unhappy because everything has to revolve around Neymar. Well, then Neymar goes out, and it's like suddenly you have no finishing bite to the team. You know, a pair of Liverpool guys, uh, Phil Coutinho, uh, I, I now call them Phil and Rob. Yes. Uh, Phil Coutinho, Rob Firmino. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, those guys did so well to set things up. But man, when you got fucking Robinho on the end of it, yeah, that's the best you can come up with after Neymar is Robinho? He's 31, and sorry, he's a freaking loser, man. Yeah. I mean, the guy quits everything he does. He can't stick with anyone. That's the best you can come up with. You know, for Brazil, God, it's weird, man, because they have really good players. I don't think they have good midfielders. I don't think they have any finishers. Other than Neymar, they have no finishers. So, you know, it's like they bitch they bitch about Neymar being too big, but then as soon as Neymar's gone, you know, they, they lose that edge. They lose that they lose that final strike. Um, so Dunga Dunga may be on his way out soon is <laughs> kind of the word around there because he does not have a good record since coming back with Brazil. And, you know, the people wanted something coming off the disastrous end of the World Cup. They wanted something to believe in. They wanted someone to bring them back. And right now, Dunga does not seem to be the man to get the job done. Well, here's my question. Is it really on him? I mean, does does Brazil... I, I think it's more at this point, there's just a talent gap that has completely shrunk. Where I think Brazil, in terms of talent, has just come back to the back, back to the pack, excuse me. And... You, you did mention some great players like Coutinho, um, who, who have had really great Premier League seasons. But really, I mean, Douglas Costa, 
who's who's just about to go to Bayern Munich that we'll mention when we talk the transfer window. He didn't really have a good tournament. He missed a penalty against um, Paraguay that sent them packing. I, I just I wonder about how good Brazil really is, and maybe Dunga isn't the answer, but I don't think much of this is really his fault at this point. Well, but the problem is, internationally especially, you know, you've got to blame somebody. True. And see, here's the problem internationally, is, you know, if if you have a weakness in your Barcelona, you go out and you, you buy and you fix your weakness. What can you do in the international stage? You've got who you've got. You know, so it has to be the manager who brings it together and makes it happen. And Dunga thus far has he, he just he hasn't brought it together and made it happen. Unless I mean it's just it's kinda gonna come down to, you know, how patient do they wanna be? Not saying Dunga's not the answer, but you know, this is Brazil. Brazil they demand a winner. Yes. And they feel if you can't come in and immediately deliver on that winner, then well we'll go find somebody else. You know, we'll go rehire Phil Scolari probably. Yeah. No, he's in China. He's he's in China. He's he's too busy there. Oh, I mean, it will be, I believe, his ninth time in charge of the Brazil <laughs> national team. But hey, whatever. Um, also coming out, of course, not it wasn't just Brazil's failure. It was a lot of craziness surrounding Edson Cavani. Of course, we mentioned last week on the pod uh, that he had seen double yellows in their match against Chile. Uh, that saw them. Uh, that saw him being sent off and saw them exit the Copa America. We didn't really know at the time what had happened, because it had literally happened about a half hour before our podcast, and because it's on BN, I certainly wasn't able to watch it, and I don't think Wes really could have either. Um, But now we know why. Uh, Apparently Chile's Gonzalo Yara, who will now miss the rest of Copa America, including the finals this weekend, uh, actually stuck his finger up Cavani's ass. And uh, Cavani reacted, as I think most normal people would, by turning around and slapping him. And that's what drew the yellow. Of course, the official did not see the initial offense. And Jara actually has done this a couple times before. Um, He has a history of it, which is just frigging bizarre. And uh, actually has led to Mainz, his club team, threatening to sell him. After the incident, uh, but Wes, is this is this one of the strange? I mean, we we've had Luis Suarez bite people, and somehow this still seems more weird than that. Well, in in response to a couple of things you said, one, how would you react? I mean, hey, some people it might be their king. Go for it. Um, the other reaction is, uh, fortunately, my father who despises the game of soccer. Um, I know what his response would have been. Well, I could have told you they would probably do that. So, yeah. um, that's just bizarre, man. I love South Americans. It's such South a- Americans just do fucked up shit. It's so weird. In the wor- in the words of Mike Tyson from The Hangover, we all do crazy shit when we get fucked up. <laughs> I mean, this is great. You know, Suarez bites people. This guy's finger bombing dudes, assholes. Um, <laughs> Oh man, it's great, but you know it's 
it's another disappointing chapter. Unfortunately for Cavani, he kind of catches the, dare I say, brunt end of this. Yes. Uncomfortable. You know, because for him, at the at the moment, it lets his team down. Yes. And, and you know, that was the shitty part. Damn, I'm not meaning to do this, I promise. I know. Um, the thing is, in the moment, it hurt Uruguay. In the long run, you know, it's going to hurt the cat who finger-bombed him. But in the short term, it hurt It hurt Uruguay. They went out of the tournament. Cavani, with Luis Suarez, serving his, like, 27-year suspension from FIFA um, because he likes a little salt on his meat during games. Um, you know, Cavani had to carry the had to carry the load, and once again, we saw Cavani on a big stage is not the world's greatest thing. Um, but you know, it's it, it's craziness, man. And that was that was kind of funny. It was craziness. Um, just getting back into the Copa real quick, though. Looking at that final. Uh, Argentina, and they're going for their first. This is crazy to think of. When you think of all the talent Argentina has produced, if they win this Copa, it will be their first title since 1993. Wow. That encompasses the entire Messi age. Um, you know, it, it encompasses everything. All these great players that they put up. Basically, 93 when they won the Copa was the last time that they they have lifted a trophy um, for guys like Messi. I, I mean, now you're, you are looking at a fantastic Argentina team. Messi, Aguero, um, Javier Mascarano, Javier Pastore. You know, this is a really talented team. Uh, Chile, though, don't, don't, don't sell Chile short. You know, Alexis Sanchez, Arturo Vidal leading the way. They have played with such passion at home. You know, and sometimes a home crowd can push you over. But I really, I believe that we have the best final that we could ask for out of this Copa. And I believe, I believe we can, we can have a classic on our hands. Then who are you picking in this Classico? Chile, the host country, or Argentina? Well, if you will go back and listen to, like, or know me for anything ever when it comes internationally, I believe I always pick Argentina to win somehow. You picked them last year in the World Cup? I did. And I picked them in the World Cup before that. And basically, for some reason, I can't get through my thick fucking skull that they haven't <laughs> won anything since I was 11 years old. <laughs> but, um... I've, I've got to go with Argentina. I mean, they've got fucking Messi. They've got Aguero. They've got Pastore. They've got Mascarano. They've got Romero. They're good. If they somehow don't win this, it's it's just going to... I really think Messi needs this. Yeah. Messi, of all people, he needs this because, you know, Messi is obviously seen as arguably the best player in the world, very close to not being arguably the best player in the world, mm -hmm. just inarguably the best player in the world. Messi needs this one great international um, trophy to add to his CV. And if he can do that, that just that pushes him to another level altogether from what he already is. Um, and to win Copa would just, it would be huge for Argentina. I'm picking the Argentines. Picking them three two. 
Well, and I think that you, you hit on something for someone who has won so much at a club level. I mean, we're talking about a guy who just won an international oh. treble uh, you know, a few weeks ago and has done that multiple times now in his career. He, he has never he hasn't done it yet on the international stage. And that's not to say he hasn't been good on the international stage. Let's face it. He kind of drug Argentina to the world cup finals, uh, this past world cup and was amazing in doing it. So it's, it's in some ways it's unfair to say he has to win a trophy to cement himself. But I think you're right. I think in the Argentinian perspective, he needs to win some major uh, country club competition, and this would be fantastic. And I think if he wins this, we're gonna we can realistically start talking about him being one of the greatest players ever. Period. The end. Because I think I think at that point the argument ends: Is he the best player right now? Because I I think there really shouldn't be a doubt that he is. I think I think he's pushed himself over that anyway. Um, just because another thing that he does that Ronaldo doesn't do is he he brings stability. Yes. You know I I don't think the argument's even out there anymore for that. I, and also I believe he's already I believe he's already one of the top five players of all time anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think you give him this, and then this if this could give them a strong push into Russia 2018, um, you know, you, you could maybe see Argentina go in as one of the favorites suddenly in 2018 in Russia uh, instead of just one of the, well, yeah, they're a contender. Uh, I think if he can pull a Copa and then if he can pull a World Cup out of his ass in Russia, I think at that point you are, he is he is in Maradona, Pele, this is this is all we talk about: Maradona, Pele, and Messi. Who's yeah. the best? You know, <laughs> crazy that Argentina will have produced two of those guys. Yeah, it's South America, crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> um, also, we do want to mention before we get away from this for a second, there is more Ensign Cavani news. Uh, he was revealed that he feels very delicate. After his dad was involved in a hair, why are you laughing at this? He's delicate. That's just a great, great way to put it. Not yeah, I'm pissed. I'm upset. I feel very delicate right now. After his fingered in public. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. No, no, no. Well, exactly. But I'm saying he was fingered in public, and now this happens. He's feeling delicate. Yeah. After his dad was involved in a horrific traffic accident which ended up taking the life of a 19-year-old motorcyclist. Uh, Cavani's dad, Luis, was arrested in Uruguay after the accident is now reportedly being detained in Canidas National Institute of Rehabilitation. Uh, Cavani is back at PSG training for them uh, as he gets started to on their next campaign. But just a terrible, terrible story for Cavani, who just really can get no luck. He, just, he seems like just absolutely snake-bitten right now. That's a rough couple of weeks. Not, not, not making any jokes. I mean, that's a rough yeah. couple of weeks for a guy, you know, just to have, you know, A, to have the situation where obviously Uruguayans are pissed at him for getting the double yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, the embarrassment that comes of basically being fingered on national te- on worldwide television. Yeah. I mean, even if obviously it was not his fault at all, there is some embarrassment to that. And then this happens. I mean, that's a tough little run of luck there for a guy. So, uh, you know, for for Kavani's sake, we definitely hope you know it'll turn around for him. 
absolutely. It'll, it, it should in the next couple weeks as he can get his mind back towards football. Uh, do want to quickly mention before we hit silly season transfer news, uh, the Euro 21s are done. Sweden defeats Portugal on penalties and a nil-nil draw. And uh, Sweden wins their first uh, Euro 21 title. So congratulations to them. England, of course, crashed out early as they are wont to do. That's more the English we know. And uh, Sweden beats a strong but lackluster Portuguese team for the title. All right, Wes, let us head now into the transfer market. And it has already started heating up, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, July 1st, the opening of the transfer window. And we already have a few big moves. Uh, Douglas Costa will be heading from Shakhtar Donetsk to Bayern Munich on a fee of 30 million euros. The 24-year-old attacking midfielder uh, looks like he might be replacing Franck Ribéry, uh, who is still uh, recovering from a handful of injuries. Um, and of course, Arjen Robin, who's getting up there just a little bit in age as well. According to Opta, Douglas Costa completed the most dribbles of all Shakhtar players last Champions League season. Um, this is one of the big moves, and we thought, you know, Baron looked a little lackluster uh, in their performance against Barca last year in the Champions League semis. Uh, they won the Bundesliga going away. But this, again, is, Wes, the rich getting richer in Germany. Yeah, um, and, and it will be interesting to see how he's utilized. You know, Ribéry coming off the injuries, but he's still Frank Ribéry. He's still one of the absolute best wing players in the world has on the other side, Ian Robin, who may be the best wing player in the yes. world at this point. Um, I don't see him really coming in just straight up to replace, but you know, Bayern Munich playing the amount of games that they play because, you know, they're going to be in the champions league. They're going to be, uh, you know, obviously in the Bundesliga, they're going to be in the DFB, Pokal, whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. They're going to be on four or five fronts playing. Um, they're definitely going to need the depth. Because last season you saw once Ribéry and Robin went down, I mean, they just they kind of went to shit with it. Yes. You know, especially in Europe, they just went to shit because they didn't have anything close to being able to replace those guys. So I think right now Costa may actually be more of a depth signing where, where he will obviously – he's going to play a lot of matches, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I almost wonder if we're going to see maybe more Costa in the Bundesliga and maybe see if they try to uh, save Ribéry and Robin more for Europe. That is a possibility, of course. uh he was one of the uh, leading scorers last year in the Champions League. Had a very good uh, year for Shakhtar. And we'll have to see how that translates, though. Uh, Bayern, of course, very famous for usually not taking unproven South American players. Unproven at a high level, of course. Now, after this latest... Well, well uh, but you know, Costa has played well in Europe. True. I'll give him that. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, just a few short news and notes. Uh, Tottenham is now looking uh, to sign Toby Alderweireld, 
I believe I pronounced that right, uh, out from Atletico Madrid, who does not look keen on keeping him after sending him on loan to Southampton last season. Southampton has first rights to try and keep him, but there is a clause that Atletico could exercise if they feel like they can get a better offer. And right now it looks like they're asking for £10 million from Daniel Levy and Tottenham. Uh, it looks like uh, Toby, his name is Toby, uh, looks like he would like to join up with Spurs so he can be with fellow Belgium internationals, Jan Vertonghen, Nasser Chadley, and Moussa Dembele. And Wes, I think this would be another good bit of business for Spurs if they can find some way to not Spurs it up and steal this from <laughs> Southampton. Elder Viril, Elder, Elder whatever we're going to say. Toby! Um, Colin, your name is Toby, boy. Yes. Oh. God, I'm flying my comparative flag. Um, <laughs> a couple of seasons ago when he signed with Atletico, he was a high-level uh, Liverpool target. Um, literally came down between Liverpool and uh, and uh, Atletico. Came out of the Ajax system, was uh, you know a, a highly rated defender coming to Atletico. A lot of people really had him... Um, you know, had him kind of sign, sealed, delivered to Liverpool because he played that Brendan Rodgers style, that style that Rodgers wants from the back, mm -hmm. which is a ball-playing central uh, defensive player. Chose Atletico. I mean, you can't totally say he made a bad choice. I mean, the guy, he, you know, won, you know, he won the Spanish League and he, you know, played in a well, – his team was in the final of the, of the Champions League. Mm-hmm. But he just never – I don't think he was quite to the level of what they needed at Atletico or what they required. Sim to Southampton, had a solid loan season at Southampton. Showed that I think he can play in the Premier League. I think he would be a good – I think he'd be a good buy, really by you know, Spurs, Liverpool, that, that group, that, that group trying to break into the top four. He could definitely do a good job for those teams. Um so I mean, Spurs can get him for ten million. They've done they've done good business because that will be at a loss for Atletico. Absolutely, and and speaking of good business and dealing with loss, uh, Polino will be heading to Guangzhou Evergrande over in China. As we mentioned earlier, he will be uh, reconnecting with his old boss, uh, Luis Felipe Scolari, in the Chinese side. Uh, the 26-year-old will be going there as part of a £9.8 million deal. Of course, uh, if Tottenham ends up paying all the add-ons, it was a £17 million deal that brought Polino from Corinthians over to White Hart Lane. So a loss taken there. But uh, it was either looks like it was either going to be that or Watford. So it looks like Spurs ended up uh, swallowing a little bit of money to make sure he didn't go to another Premier League side. Um, and so we say adieu to Paulinho. Uh, just the guy who never really no. lived up to the billing. Again, it's just one of those guys who wasn't and never really looked built for Premier League football. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, last tiny bit of news, another one of those strong Colombians has found a new home. Uh, Jackson Martinez looks like he will be heading to Atletico, uh, coming on a 35, Euro, 35 million euro transfer from Porto. Uh, the Portuguese club announced it on their site today. 
And uh, of course, he follows James Rodriguez, a fellow Colombian who went to Real. Now they will be playing on opposite sides of Madrid. And Jackson Martinez, of course, another one of those breakouts of the 2014 World Cup for Colombia. And Wes uh, Atletico trying to build back up a little bit and trying to get good young talent in their system. Well, you know, they move Mario Mandzukic mm-hmm. on to Juventus. Mandzukic is a good striker, but Jackson Martinez really fills the void that they needed. You know, you think about Jackson Martinez, you think of him being young. He's actually he's 28. He's almost 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Um he was a guy who about three years ago, everybody's been thinking for about the last three, four years, he was going to go to the Premier League. And he just kept deciding, no, I'm going to stay at Porto. I'm going to stay at Porto. You know, I like it here. I'm doing well here. And he did. I mean, he absolutely did. Um, but Jackson Martinez is a guy who he can go and be a difference maker because he can play He can play both types of striker. He can be a target man who just plants himself in the box. You kick balls into him, and he just flicks them or makes uh, little moves and gets it in. Or he can take the ball 30 yards from goal and dribble his way in. He's a very good player. And um, another thing, he kind of he's going to give some more bite back to Atletico, something they've been missing since the loss of Diego Costa. Um, Just kind of that – not really a mean streak, but just that competitive streak to mm-hmm. go kill himself for every ball. Jackson Martinez is going to provide that. I think it's a very, very good signing for Atletico. Um, and I think some Premier League teams are sitting there going, damn it. <laughs> I mean, especially someone like maybe an Arsenal or uh, even Man United are just like, ah, dang it, man, we really wanted this guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, United's wanted a lot of people this season. Um, Last bit of player news, and this is turning into a very, very big story. Uh, Paul Pogba, where is he going to end up next year? It looked like Barcelona, despite their transfer ban right now, looked like they were going to try to sign them so he could come for the 2016 season, uh, Barcelona uh, offered up an 80 million euro offer to Juventus, but Juventus president Giuseppe Morota has told the Gazette dello Sport that the side has turned it down and that Pogba will be staying at Juve. Um, We've also know uh, Manchester City looked to break the bank with a 71 million pound bid for the striker. Wes, is Pogba going to stay at Juventus? And is there any number that you think Juventus will finally say, okay, we have to dig this now. This is this is too good to pass up. He's really interesting because here's what you're looking at at Juventus. You're looking at a an offseason where you have already lost Carlos Tevez. Mm-hmm. You've already lost Andreo Pirlo, mm-hmm. two obviously big-time starters in your uh, Champions League final team from a year ago. There, The rumor is always out there that Arturo Vidal is going to go somewhere this year. It sounds like Ar- uh, Arsenal. You know, do you really want to, if you're Juventus and you have some of these guys under contract and you don't have to sell them, do you really want to turn around and sell your entire starting midfield um, going into this season and basically have to replace everyone? No, you don't want to do that. 
from the sounds of what I've heard, it looks like either one Pogba or Vidal will move this summer. It's just going to be interesting to see which one. I think with Pogba, you can obviously you can give Pogba another season. It's not really going to be a problem um, because of his age. With Vidal, I think if they want to move Arturo Vidal, I think they've kind of gotten to a point where it's the time of his career where a bad injury or something could kill his value. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to cash in on Vidal. Maybe next year look to move Pogba and just get sick, crazy money at that point. I'm talking 80, 90 million pounds. And that's that's what I have to keep track of, of course. Uh, Italian sides, uh, if anyone can afford to not break uh, the bank in selling off someone, it is Juventus. But we'll see how long they end up holding out as this transfer season progresses. Uh, two firings to talk about. One surprising, what not so surprising. Uh, over in the Premier League, Leicester City announced just yesterday that Nigel Pearson has been relieved of his duties and will leave the club for a second time. Nigel Pearson, who took them, the Foxes, into the League One Championship, got them promoted to the championship, took them to the uh, championship playoffs multiple times, finally got them up to the Premier League, and then pulled an absolute Houdini act the last 10 weeks of the season to keep the Foxes in the top flight. In fact, Leicester's 10 games under Nigel Pearson, uh, 22 goals scored, 11 conceded, won 22 out of 30 points, kept them up. Wes, this is this is we know he's a little crazy. He did his old ostrich bit towards the end of the season. I'm sure management was a little off put by that, but still this is this is a very odd firing, especially right as the transfer window opens. Well, another thing that they're dealing with in Leicester right now is the fallout from the video. Yes. Was, Which we never uh, really talked about on this podcast. No, no, no. So let's talk about it real quick. Uh, apparently a, uh, a group of Leicester players, including Nigel Pearson's own son. Yes. Um, were caught, uh, you know, a tape, basically a video made the rounds of them engaging in basically uh, a, a multiple person sexual activity. Um, while they were on a, a tour of, God, where were they, Thailand, something like that? Uh, yes, Thailand, yes. Okay, well, it's Thailand. Um, basically, in layman's terms, it sounds like about three of them were running the train on a girl. Um, well, okay, that, that wasn't so much the problem. You know, boys will be boys. Uh, but apparently then, as everything nowadays, uh, it was racist. Uh, yes, they were hurling uh, racial epithets and demeaning comments at the women in the video. So there you go. So um, that that has turned into something. All three of those players, I believe at least two, if not all three, were released. Yes. Um, and I, you've just got to think that's got something to do with it because, I mean, you had to release your own son. It wasn't just three random players. It was, you know, two guys and your own son. And I just, I wonder if that's had anything to play into this. Um, because that cannot be easy to go to work and look your bosses in the eye every day. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, your own son was caught doing this. 
And also, you know, stuff goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about. I mean, he could have been arguing over whatever the transfer fund was, you know, and Lester said, hey, we're not going to give you more than this. So you either deal with it or you get out of here. And Nigel Pearson's like, well, I'm not going to deal with it. So they said, all right, well, then we're going to we're gonna part ways then. Well, and part of that, um, sorry to cut you off there, but uh, Lester on their official website and their statement said, uh, however, it has become clear to the club that fundamental differences in perspective exist between us. Regrettably, the club believes that the working relationship between Nigel and the board is no longer viable. Then I just basically hit the, I just nailed yep. that one. <laughs> uh, basically, he wanted more money than they were going to give him. Um, and either they called his bluff or he called their bluff. And somehow, some way, Nigel Pearson won't be there, which you've got to be nervous right now if you're a Leicester fan because the one thing you had as a as Leicester was you had the stability of the guy in charge had been there a long time and he knew exactly what he had you you had a full identity of how you wanted to play and now you're bringing in a new manager you know a week or two before training is set to begin real quick uh, before we go to our last uh, managerial change who does who does Lester bring in now? I mean, do they do they possibly look at like a Gus Poyet or um, the the gentleman who was at Aston Villa who who was sacked midway through the season whose name escapes oh, um, me right now? Oh God, Paul. Yeah, him. Yeah. What about Big Sam? That's true. That would be, a, I think, a good move. Um, I, big back in the league. I think. I think actually, if I remember correctly, that's actually the booking favorite right now. Uh, although apparently Jurgen Klopp's name has been thrown around, which I think is silly. But you know, <laughs> you can get him. I guess go for it. Premier League job. Uh, yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Um, lastly, here in our soccer talk. Um, in a not surprising news, Goose Hiddink's uh, reign as Dutch manager is over. Uh, the 68-year-old who in 10 games since the 2014 World Cup amassed a 4-1-5 and record and had a only a plus-5 goal differential. Uh, the Dutch will now be led by uh, Netherlands legend and father of current Dutch player Danny, Blind, uh, Danny Blind. Excuse me, who's of course the uh, father of Daily Blint. Uh, Hiddick voiced his regrets, saying, quote, I'm sorry it went this way. I thought it was an honor to coach again the Dutch national team, and I wish my successor, the staff, and the players every success on the way to the European Championships in France. And Wes, I think that's the, the biggest point right now. The Dutch currently sit third in their uh, qualifying for Euro 2016 group. Uh, this is a change that I think many people feel had to be named, made. Um, I mean, I agree, uh, was not, it just, it just wasn't working out well with what was going on. Um, they weren't playing up to expectations. They've got too much talent not to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, if Daly's dead, he's the guy to go. Eh. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I don't like the Dutch. Oh, they need to become fine young Danes. Um, so that's our soccer Nothing. news for right now. As we move to another sport, we'd like to remind you that this podcast excuse me, is being presented by NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com, where we never stop. 
And Wes will quickly go through this, uh, as I'm sure uh, loyal listeners of the pod will know. Last week, towards the end of our show, uh, very exciting things happened, uh, which involved me yelling swears at you to, to please just talk about wrestling, because I was nervous and throwing up every well. And good news, everyone, all that vomiting paid off, as Virginia are the 2015 College World Series champions. Uh, They defeat Vanderbilt in the decisive Game 3, avenging last season's loss in the most uh, remarkable and surprising of ways. Uh, But West Virginia gets the win, uh, and I believe, I, I know I'm kind of a homer in this, but I think even objectively now, Brian O'Connor, probably one of the five or six best head coaches in the country now in college baseball? I can get down with that. Um, I mean, God, we talk about stability and consistency. He's the man right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, him him and uh, Tim Corbin over at Vanderbilt, just the marks of consistency right now, both coming in to their jobs around the same time um, and just really, really turning around two fairly moribund programs. And now they've met in the College World Series Finals back-to-back years, each team winning one. Uh, as, as we know, for the ACC, uh, their first win since Wake Forest back in the 50s uh, ends a 44-team drought over that time of ACC teams making it to Omaha and not winning the College World Series. So to everybody, including that Carolina team back in 2006 who was like five outs away from winning the College World Series, you're welcome. We did Good job, it. job, Chad Flack. Yeah, God. Oh, God. What a bunch. Anyway, uh, that's our College World Series recap. It was a very enjoyable College World Series, very exciting. And we can't wait for 2016 now that it looks like they've finally gotten the home run to pitching ratio pretty good now in, in, a, in a place where the metal bats are, are doing just enough damage to baseballs. Um, and speaking of that, we as we head to Major League Baseball, Wes, not shockingly, Major League Baseball has decided to change the home run derby rules yet again this year. This time it will be a single elimination tournament of eight players. And instead of the normal 10 out format, each round will be timed. Uh, And in reading this article here, it looks like the rounds will be five minutes long, except in the last minute when if you hit a home run, the clock stops until you make your next out and you can get bonus time for distance and 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 stuff and 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 as you can tell Wes I'm just thoroughly thoroughly excited for these changes in the home run derby coming up here next week or no, two weeks this is a silly game um the home run derby is about moments yeah you know it's not even about whoever wins the damn thing <laughs> All I remember about the Yankee Stadium home run derby. Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton didn't win, but my God, he was amazing. Yes. You know, I think I remember at Fenway. I don't think Mark McGuire won that one. No, um, I can look he, it up. But I don't think I don't think he did either. I think Griffey won for some. I can't remember who won, but McGuire was amazing. Is he kept fucking hitting balls out on Lansdowne Street? Yes. You know, it's about moments. It's not It's not about winning it or losing it. Usually the best hitting you're going to see are in the first rounds. 
because that's when guys are jacked, they're ready to go, they're not tired, they haven't been sitting around. Um, that's the best of it. So after that point, you can kind of turn it off. Unless you really, really care who wins, you can kind of turn it off. Um, <laughs> it ruins swings. Yes. You know, no one wants them to do it. I mean, the, you know, once again, the other moments you remember, the greatest uh, ever Robinson Cano hitting no home runs. Oh, I love that. That was great. Getting booed at Kauffman Stadium and hitting no home runs was amazing. Yeah, I mean, that was that was phenomenal. I mean, so it's about moments. I don't even really care how they do it. You know, because, A, it's going to be on in the background at my house probably anyway, unless I'm actually watching something else. Which, if it's on, isn't it usually on Monday nights? Yes. Well, never mind. I'll be watching Raw. I don't give a shit. But, um... It's what it is, man. It's a home run derby. It's like the dunk contest. I- I'll watch it over the dunk contest. At this point, um, yes. There's a point where I would have said no, but I would say at this point, yes. Yeah, but that's because no one's in the dunk contest anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's like guys who are the 10th pick in the draft every year who are just there because, wow, we're great athletes and we can jump. We can't do anything else. Um, and once Vince Carter did it, it just, it jumped the shark after Vince Carter was just the greatest thing since spill since sliced bread. So, uh, but Hey, whatever, go for it. Baseball, you know, at least they are trying to mix it up and make it a little more exciting, I guess. Mm-hmm. What's most exciting is letting juiced up Roy guys hit, uh, hit loaded baseballs 500 feet. That's what's more fun. Oh, absolutely. Um, I guess, you know, you, you talk about moments. You have 93 when Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, was parking balls onto uh, Utah Street at Camden Yards. Uh, you have, you know, 2002 and Miller Park where Sammy Sosa, I think, hit one like 500 feet and hit an, into like an actual electric box. Uh, you had the Josh Hamilton one, uh, which was just phenomenal. And again, he did not win that year. You were correct. Justin Moore knew actually won that year. Um and so, yeah, that, that's really what it boils down to. It's more just the moments. And, I mean, I could probably ask you, who who won last year, Wes? Oh, shit, I don't know. There you go. So that's that's what it is. And this year, um, Mike Stanton's, John uh, Carlo, excuse me, yeah. is not going to be in it because he's hurt. And I mean, he's literally like, he's one of the only guys I care to watch um, take batting practice at this point. Yeah. And I he's not going to be in it because he's hurt. So yeah. I would watch Trout in it, but I don't think he's going to be in it. God, I hope not. I mean, if I'm the Angels, I'm not letting Trout anywhere near that. No. No, 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 no. I mean, because, once again, it does have a history of mucking up a swing. Yep. All right. Uh, well, Ortiz had a really good round at Safeco, didn't he? Uh, actually, Ortiz has the most home runs in uh, home run derby history oh, over yeah. over a career. Yeah. Yeah, Ortiz had a really, really good round. I think it was in Seattle. Uh, I believe. Let me let me see. I, I just had this up, so let me let me pull it up again here. Uh, they do list on the Wikipedia page for it uh, some of the records. Uh, Ortiz, uh, if that was twenty ten, uh, mm-hmm. no, that was in Anaheim. But he did hit. Uh, he oh. had thirty two overall uh, mm-hmm. in that in that home run derby, um, and that was that was his best year. He has hit seventy seven though in the home run derby over his career, which is seven more than Kenneth Griffith Jr. did. Um, Let's put him in. The Red Sox aren't winning anything else this year, so. Well, yeah. 
Oh, that is depressing. All right, let's not talk about baseball anymore, Wes. Let's move to college. Uh, first, we'll do uh, college chicks. Yeah. I guess. What do you want to talk about? Um, let's talk about first uh, a little bit of sad news. Um, Bo Ryan, this will be his last college basketball season. Been a great caretaker as the men's basketball coach at the University of Wisconsin, taking them to back-to-back Final Fours, including this year's championship game where they lost to Duke in the finals. But just a great coach, a great guy, and, and someone that, um, while while some fans may be kind of glad he's gone and hope that Wisconsin plays maybe a little more up-tempo and offensive basketball, just really, really knows how to coach the game. Big Ten basketball don't care. Next <laughs> All right. Well then, sorry, sorry to the Ryan family. Apologies from us. Um, sure. Well, you brought it up. Let's let's talk about my favorite guy in the world, Colin Coward. It's, you introduced the story because you brought it up. <laughs> uh, so today, Cowherd, and this was on Today Show. Cowherd um, had Jim Harbaugh on. For the first time ever. And of course, Cowherd is, uh, contrary to what many people feel about him, he is a major national uh, media guy, ESPN Radio. He has kind of that, I would call it kind of the primetime daytime show. You know, has the 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. slot. Yep. Um, can be very controversial. Mm-hmm. Sometimes makes his own controversy. I personally have been a Cowherd fan since he started, um, since he took over the slot from Tony Kornheiser. I've been a fan for a long time. Don't agree with everything he says. Do agree with a lot, though, because I, I just think it's – he is a, he is a smart guy who I think just tries too hard sometimes. I do yeah. believe he's intelligent. Um, has very good relationships. I mean, Ed, hey, we should love him. You know what he said on the show today, Ed? He said, for all you people who don't get it, there are two sports in this country that are trending up. What are they? College football and soccer. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't argue with the man's logic. Well, he is well-known. Uh, he does get a lot of the top college football coaches on there. You know, um, Steve Sarkeesian, um, you know, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, basically anyone who's a big, a big shot college football guy, you, know, you end up on Colin Cowherd's show. Cowherd – his interview style, when he's not trying to dig very deep on you, Cowherd gives you a lot of open-ended questions, gives you, the guest, an opportunity to talk a lot. So today is Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> and I, I don't know what Jim Harbaugh's train of thought was for this, because you and I are Harbaugh fans. We like Jim Harbaugh. Yep. I, I don't know where he was going with this, but basically, you know, Cowherd starts him out with kind of a fluffer question says, you know, Coach, I love I love your intensity. You know, you're a really intense guy. When are you not intense? Yeah. You know, which obviously, as, you know, Jim Harbaugh, you need to say, well, you know, with my family, you know, I like to decompress. They remind me that football is just a game. You know, yeah. Harbaugh's like, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. Yep. And right then, you just knew where this interview was going. <laughs> Beautiful. And Coward for about four or five minutes just – I mean, just in open-ended questions, good, good, solid questions. You know, you know, coach, where do you think? Um, you know, he one that he said that just kind of got me. That Harbaugh was like, "What?" Yeah. Was you know, should I buy the Big Ten? Yeah. He said, "You know, I want to look at it. You know, 
hey, Ohio State's, you know, obviously they might be the best team in the country. You know, Wisconsin playing well. You know, you guys on the way up, should I buy the Big Ten? You think the Big Ten's a buy? Well, yeah, that's because here's what he said. Here's what Howard actually said. He said, the Big Ten feels like a buy to me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you were listening to the way he was talking, you understood what he was saying. But if you're Jim Harbaugh and you're crazy intense and you don't give a shit. Harbaugh took that totally a different way. And it just, it's like this thing could never, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, uh, a remote control airplane. It just never got off the ground. Yeah. So Coward literally about halfway through is just like, you know what, coach, this isn't going to work. You know, let's just, <laughs> let's just kill this while we got a chance. Oh God. And I mean, just, you know, he went on to say, you know, sometimes we just, sometimes as media members, we, we have a clunker interview. He said, that was a clunker interview. What can I say? He said, I still like Jim Harbaugh. He said that, that interview just did not go well. Of course, he was killed by Michigan fans. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, obviously, you know, two, two Michigan fans, he went into that with a, with an agenda. Oh, yeah. Which I do not believe one bit that Colin Cowherd had. Colin Cowherd's agenda is to <clears throat> get the top guys back on his show. Yeah. Which, I mean, hey, well, I mean, look, you and I, we don't go looking to piss off high school coaches in the fall, do we? Nope. Why? Because we want them back on our show. <laughs> yes. That's that's why we will suck up to a certain head coach who continuously dogged us last summer and finally grew to like us towards the end of last season, who shall remain nameless. Exactly. You know, um, so, you know, for, for Cowherd, personally, I thought Cowherd was fine. I mean, he gave he gave a few soft questions, but then I thought he asked some really good questions, and Harbaugh just Harbaugh just seemed to not be in the mood at all to answer questions today. He, it's like he didn't want to be forthcoming with anything. It was, it was it was almost like you felt he just he's like I'm Jim Harbaugh and I want to be combative as shit today. <laughs> so he was. So it was uh, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting segment of radio. I'll say that much. Uh, it, it, at uh, 2.21 p.m. today, uh, Coach Harbaugh did actually put out a tweet uh, in it that reads, uh, In my experience of participating in interviews, I have found it takes two to produce a clunker! Exclamation mark. I'll take 50% responsibility for this clunker. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, I, think, I mean, look, here's the deal. I, I truly believe one day he will be back on Colin Cowherd's show. Probably. You know, um, I mean, Coward does make good points when he says, you know, I, I give I give the top guys, you know, I give them a platform to sell your program. And, and he basically said that. He said, Coach, I just want you to sell your program. And Harbaugh was like, well, maybe I don't want to sell my program. It's like, oh, wait a damn minute, Coach. Why are you here? <laughs> why are you appearing on a national radio show <laughs> to answer these questions if you're not trying to sell your program? <laughs> so, uh uh, it was it was something. I mean, if you get the chance, you know, go download the Thundering Herd podcast, which uh, basically no, don't do that. Was, don't don't you dare give him a bit of, of oh, another play. No, stop. go to the Washington Post and just read the transcript of it. Don't listen to this garbage. Just read the transcript. Well, stop it. You would you would have enjoyed the uh, the fantastic talk about soccer that uh, that we got on there about how people like you and I, Ed, we get it. We get it. 
we are the people we are the people who understand that America is changing and we're we're with the times, Ed, because we are soccer people. So Ed, he talked very well about you today. So you well, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, I will more than happily wreck myself when it comes to calling coward. Oh. <laughs> Sma- smash cut to five years from now when we're in the same building doing radio together. Hey, Colin. Oh, Colin he's great. Oh, whatever. I, I, you always hated me for that, but anyway. <laughs> I, I do, I, and I will continue to. Um, let's head to the zeitgeist now because our time is running just a little bit short. Uh, I actually have two stories. You probably only got one in the rundown, Wes, uh, and that's because I didn't get this second story until late on in the day and didn't have time to put in the rundown I sent you. So I will give you the option. Um, We'll talk about one of the two stories and save one for next week. I will either let let us talk about La Liga and their plans to sue FIFA or ESPN reportedly wanting Keith Olbermann to quit. I literally know nothing about that. I've wanted Keith Olbermann to quit at life for about 10 years now. Okay. Um, so I guess we can hold that one because I'm kind of digging that La Liga deal. Okay, let's go to La Liga. We'll talk about Keith Olbermann next week. Uh, the Spanish Football League has fought a lawsuit against FIFA to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and this is according to to uh, the website as.com and forgive me but right this second I'm not positive what as stands for um, and really Don't looking worry about it. no one knows really looking at your website I can't figure it out either so I'm just gonna call you as.com and, and you're just gonna have to be okay with that uh, but the more important thing is they are filing suit against uh, FIFA Javier Tevez the LFP president says he's done it quote in defense of the interests of the clubs which are contributing to the international teams. In moving the World Cup to the winner, we will lose 65 million euros, according to three independent expert reports. Uh, of course, we know about how much trouble this has been for 2022. The FIFA has moved the World Cup in Qatar from the normal summer dates to the winter dates. Uh, they also involved uh, go ahead and giving Fox the broadcast rights already, I believe as well as Univision, uh, for 2026 to make up for it. We've talked about it in length in this podcast. Uh, England has also considered um, suing FIFA for the same reasons because it's going to mess with the Premier League schedule. Of course, we know the winter time, a very busy part of the Premier League in England. And I think they're waiting kind of to see how this one goes for Spain. Um, the Premier League, Bundesliga, and Serie A have all supported the initiative of Tebas but only morally, certainly they have not dared to sign the agreements. There's still much fear of FIFA, said the LFP president, who justified his move by saying, using legal channels where there is a difference of opinion is what civilized people do. Nobody should be afraid to resort to a lawsuit claiming their legitimate rights, but there are still those who are afraid. Uh, Wes, what do you think is going to come out of this against the battered and bruised FIFA? Oh, man. I literally have no idea how this is going to work out. But, I mean, bravo to La Liga. I mean, you know, don't forget who is supplying the players for the World Cup. Yeah. It's the clubs. You know, the clubs are what make the players, not the, not the national teams. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. You know, you're with your club 
10 times more than you're ever with the national team. And now you've got La Liga who arguably have the biggest stars in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there threatening to say, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to follow up on this and we're going to sue your asses. And, you know, it's, it's going to do nothing but put another black eye on the FIFA. Um, I mean, I think it's a great, I don't think it'll go down. I don't think it'll actually happen, but it's great that it's out there that they are, they're serious about it. <clears throat> and, you know, England should completely be serious about it because, you know, that's a big time of the year for the Premier League. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I'm wondering how you make it all work if suddenly you have to take them six weeks off in the middle of the season to play this huge international tournament. I mean, you're, by doing it, they are completely fucking over every single league that plays the traditional fall, winter, spring schedule. Certainly, which is virtually every European, except for maybe like the Dutches yeah. and Germans. Well, I mean, no, but they do. I mean, they have a break in there. Right. But you're even messing with them. True. You're messing with their leagues who, yes, they have a break, but still they're on the same schedule. I mean, you know, Champions League. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, any sort of um, any sort of those competitions. I mean, here's my here's my question. Do you completely stop the leagues from playing? Or suddenly are the leagues like, well, we're not shutting down. I mean, is is Barcelona basically playing their second team who just didn't make their international teams? Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, where does this go? This is it's really interesting. I want to see what happens. I uh, just, I mean, the best thing of all would just be to take it away from Qatar because, I mean, obvious reasons. But the other, it's, it's just too damn hot to have it. We're supposed to have it during the summer. Uh, apparently, one of the proposals had been to actually move it to like early May of that year, but you know that falls under Ramadan, so you know can't do that. Um, one, I think, interesting thing is, and I think it's funny that we just talked about it last week on the pod. That would kill concession sales, wouldn't it? It's, I guess so. Um, we talked about it last week on the pod, is is how MLS is actually affected by things like this because of their schedule going from March to November. I mean, teams are now going to be affected by Gold Cup and players leaving for that. But this this would be that on a much grander scale. Uh, taking from this article, this is a very interesting fact, I think. Uh, European clubs account for 80% of the players who played in the 2014 World Cup. 80%. I mean, that's, that's where all your players are coming for. So if you're not taking care of those leagues, I, I mean, if, if, if what if... And I guess it comes down to more like the associations themselves... But if, if FIFA all of a sudden – or not FIFA, I'm sorry. If, if La Liga all of a sudden says, we're not releasing any of our players, we're, we're, we're saying no, you're losing Messi? Most likely. I mean this is – you well, know, this six, is 2022, so you're right. probably not losing a ton of the guys who are there now. But I mean let, let's look, I mean, look at the guys who are 20 years old who should be in their prime at that point. You know, But, but, but I totally agree with you. I think this totally comes down to UEFA. Yeah. UEFA can stop this, I believe, if they really want to dig their heels in and just be the assholes on the block, UEFA can stop this. Because, I mean, if UEFA clubs are all like, well, we're not releasing our players, 
All right, there goes Germany, there goes England, there goes Italy, there goes uh, Spain, there goes the Netherlands, there goes Belgium, you know, there goes yeah. Russia. I mean, there go all these clubs and all of these, like you said, I mean, who are you left with? The Americans are loving it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the United States like, oh, hell yeah, that'd be awesome. <sighs> course can can we uh can we set out uh loretta lynch to uh to help with this case my god it's gonna be a usa mexico final <laughs> oh, yes yay um interestingly last thing in this article uh uefa meanwhile is yet to come out in defense of the european leagues despite the public confrontations between platini uh the uefa president and bladder the frenchman is not in favor of going back saying quote the change is in the interest of the players and the fans so, I just I don't believe in Platini. I don't believe he's the he. I don't believe he's strong enough to no. put his foot down and say fuck you. I, I don't think he's strong enough to do anything at this point. I think he's too he's too into it at this point. And as mm. much as we've wanted change at the top with Bladder leaving, I I feel like Platini actually has to be the next domino to fall. Yeah, it's time to change some. It's time to change your wife a little bit. I mean, you know, the Champions League is. Amazing, we know that. Um, but nobody we would bring in would fuck with the Champions League either. No, no. I mean, nobody's going to kill that cash cow. So, you know, I think it may be time for Platini to um, step his French ass aside. Let's see what else we can get in there. All right. Speaking of, seeing I'll what say I bring in David Beckham. Oh, Bex. If, my, if Miami MLS team doesn't work out, come on and be president of UEFA. God, it would be the most beautiful president of all time. Oh, he really would since Thomas Jefferson. Beautiful, beautiful TJ. man. God, I love you, TJ. UVA I made you proud. A, I was such a William Howard Taft fan. I like mine with a little meat on their bones. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, let's let us head to watch for what have you been watching in the week that was or the week that will be? Ah, man. Um, actually, Ed spent most of the last week uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, the Great Smokies. Oh. Where I haven't even told you, but I picked up a bump. Oh, no, you got a knock? Came back with an injury. Um, I'm, I'm out for a good two weeks with a uh, deep bone contusion oh, due to my, uh, due to my um, run-in with a giant rock in a river. Oh, no. So, uh, did come back with a bump? Um, you're, you're just like Roy Hodgson. I'm not Roy, exactly. I go, I go away for international duty for just a few days, and, uh, and suddenly everything falls apart. So I didn't get to watch a lot of the telly up there, but my God, I did get to, oh, what was the damn show that I watched? Oh, the place we went had HBO. Oh, okay. Which was great. I saw Ballers. Oh, yeah. And that show is fantastically cool. Why I'm totally down with Ballers. Why um, am I, I not surprised that. you like this show? Oh, come on, dude. You know I would. You know I would. I knew you um, would. I got to see the first two episodes of Ballers. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, it stars The Rock. The Rock's my hero. Come on, man. Um I just I've got to figure out a way to see all of them now. It's a cool show, man. A lot of fun. Uh, the Rock is basically um, a former pro football player Shocking. who has turned into a, an agent, and it's cool, man. It, it's it's pretty freaking cool. Uh, 
Uh, all right. It's 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 entourage with football players. Anyway, um, let, all right, dude. He can kick everybody else's ass, and that's all that matters. That, that's a fair point. The Rock um, also starred on my absolute favorite TV show, which is Raw. So come on. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, as we go to the other end of the spectrum, I'm going to talk about a show I just finished up season one of. Uh, this past Monday night, I binged it like crazy uh, and waiting patiently for season two next year. Uh, and that is Assassination Classroom. Oh, what a great show that is coming us to uh, from the only good thing Japan has for us, and that is anime. Uh, Assassination Classroom, the story of a uh, group of delinquent middle schoolers who are sentenced to the E-Class, the group of flunkies uh, that are in the bottom tier of a prep school. They're sent away to the old campus, which is all crappy and dilapidated. And uh, the story begins as this creature destroys 75% of the moon and then tells the governments of the world, I will destroy Earth in one year, but in, before I do, I will go teach this class and, if, and I will give every one of them a chance to kill me. And that's where we learn uh, Koro-sensei, as he's called. Koro being the Japanese word for unkillable. Sensei, of course, being teacher. Uh, Koro-sensei teaches these kids life lessons uh, through the guise of assassinations and murder. And that really is all you need to know about this show. An amazing slice-of-life anime. Uh, at the end of season one, not going to spoil it, but we're only halfway through the year of the timeline, so excited to see what the next six months brings for uh, Nagasi and uh, the rest of the gang of the E-Class who have really started to come into their own. Very, very proud of those kids. So uh, that's what I watched this past weekend. All 22 episodes. Very, very good. It's on Hulu. And Wes, on that note, with two diametrically opposed television shows, tell us one thing we can both agree on, and that is getting so wrong. Wow, Ed. You just you just blew me away with that selection. Oh, it's a great it's a great show. It's a really good oh, show. Okay. So wrong this week. I actually have it on in the background right now, rewatching it because you know I had no soccer to watch. As far um, from the uh, the headlines I saw, you're one of the few people who did. <laughs> um Raw this week was not the world's greatest Raw. Mm -hmm. um, this time of the year, Raw kind of seems to drag anyway. Um, you know, kind of Royal Rumble through WrestleMania, Raw gets really good. And then the build-up to SummerSlam, which should begin after our next pay-per-view. That should be good. This time it's just kind of, eh, I've seen this match a hundred times, but show it to me again. <clears throat> The big standout this week on Raw was the uh, U.S. Open match. It was John Cena defending against Cesaro, who I know, Ed, you've never really heard me talk too much about Cesaro. No. But Cesaro is, I, I believe Cesaro would actually be an Ed Green kind of wrestler. Oh, really? He is, uh, he is Swiss. He is the Swiss Superman. Um, he is, as they say, pound for pound, maybe the strongest guy in the WWE. Oh. Um, he, he has a very somewhat European look and a very European feel to him, uh, which actually 
it makes it makes his matches very interesting and very fun because it's a different style than what everyone else in the entire company has. It's somewhat of a smooth style, even though he does rely on a lot of brute strength and a lot of different things. He now that's it. I say brute strength, but he's not one of these roided out three hundred pound muscle guys. He does a little like Brock Lesnar. He's about six five and weighs about two thirty, and he's just he's he's nicely cut up, very very well put together. He's uh, he has a he's bald, which everyone loves a nice bald man. Um, just a very very good guy, very fun, and a really 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 good technician in the ring. <clears throat> he and Cena put on a fantastic match, which you know twenty fifteen as much. Sh- Dick, as I, I have given John Cena since you have known me, mm-hmm. I've never been a big John Cena fan. Um, ever since he won the United States Championship and has have been having these U.S. Open matches, he has really, really had good matches each and every week with different guys. I think that's what we always wanted from John Cena. We were just sick of him fighting the same three or four people all the time. But now you're seeing him fight different guys. You're seeing him... You know, he's bringing out the good in them, and he's giving those guys a platform to show what they can really do. And it's been interesting. This week they had a really, really good match. He and Cesaro looked like Cesaro was about to get him to tap out in the sharpshooter when Kevin Owens, who was on commentary in the match, decided to come up, knock Cesaro out so um, so Cena would not lose because, of course, Owens fighting Cena for the U.S. title coming up at Battleground is going to be... Just thoroughly fantastic. Kevin Owens, Rolling Stone. Did you know Rolling Stone actually kept up with wrestling in? No, I did not. Rolling Stone magazine, they do. They 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 actually kind of on the sly keep up with wrestling. They have named uh, they named uh, Kevin Owens the the wrestler of the half year thus far. Oh. And that really says something when this is a guy who has just debuted literally in the last two months that in that time period he has made such a huge impression, but he has. He's been – I mean, he's the most watchable thing on Raw each and every week right now. He's he's fantastic. He's he's big, he's physical, and he can talk so much shit. And he's Canadian. You would enjoy him. He, he's kind of a fat, bearded Canadian who can just absolutely demolish people. Um, he's just – he's been a lot of fun. He's been great. Uh, that's the same everyone's looking forward to every week. You know, we get down in the NXT ranks. <clears throat> um, a big network special coming out this week. Uh, it will be live on Saturday morning, actually at 5.30 a.m. From, uh, from Japan. It's called The Beast in the East. Uh, Brock Lesnar will be there taking on um, Kofi Kingston, which should kind of be a squash match. But the big match, the one everybody's uh, anticipating seeing, Kevin Owens defending the NXT championship against Finn Balor, who you know I'm a huge Finn Balor fan. I do. Uh, Balor was basically a god for about eight years in Japan. Uh, now Finn Balor is actually Irish, but um, he was probably the most popular foreigner in Japan for about an eight-year run before coming to NXT in the WWE. So he's returning to Japan for the first time since then. So he's going to get a massive, massive response. A lot of people feel um, he's going to take the NXT title off of Kevin Owens, which would be really awesome. Um, so this is one, needless to say, I will not be up at 5.30 on Saturday morning to watch this event. Right. Luckily, Ed, I have the WWE Network, 
and I'm sure it will replay two or three times on July the 4th. There you go. So definitely, definitely be watching that and hoping to see the beginning of Finn Balor's reign as the NXT champion. Sounds like fun. Well, I can't wait. Again, a packed July 4th weekend of activities on July 4th. You'll have, of course, as Wes just uh, mentioned, some great wrestling matches. You'll have the Copa America uh, final, I believe, as well as the third place match for the Women's World Cup. And then on Sunday, the United States women goal for gold against Japan in the 2015 Women's World Cup. Cup uh, Sunday night, I believe. Also, Major League Baseball All Star Game starters will be announced, and then Monday night, uh, reserves and pitchers will be announced. Because we got to do it over two days because insurance is a sponsor, and that's what they wanted. So because go. then everybody needs the next week so they can drop out of the game. <laughs> exactly. We got to figure so out how we can get all so, the Kansas City so, Royals. So in. half the starters and half the reserves can be replaced. We need to get all of the Kansas City Royals in, Wes. Um, but that is going to do it for our episode 61 of the all-new sports show, The Podcast. Uh, next week we're going to have another tremendous episode. Uh, we'll be recapping, of course, the Women's World Cup final. And the Copa America final. We'll be talking more silly season news. Uh, we'll be breaking down the All Star Game rosters. What did the fans get right? What did the fans get wrong besides everything? And we'll even talk about if they have the Home Run Derby participants lined up. We'll take a look at that. We'll, of course, have another Watch For and So Raw. And if you want to tell us what you'd like to see on the show, you can hit us up on the Twitter. We are at All New Sports Show as a collective. Wes, you are. At West Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can email us allnewsportshow at gmail.com and mail us at 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mount, North Carolina 27804. One more big shout out to NGSC Sports and NGSCSports.com for presenting this podcast to you. Also, thanks to Spreaker.com, the TuneIn Radio app, uh, Stitcher Radio, the iTunes Music Store, which has, of course, gone a huge renovation this week with the new uh, the release of Apple Music. And finally, Podbean.com for all of the places you can listen to us. And we thank, of course, you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week for your fill of Wes and myself. So, Wes, before we get out of here, anything else to add? Um, as I said, folks, if you head into the mountains, watch out for those shallow streams because old Wes just about broke his leg and it was not fun. Oh, not fun at all. But this has I been... Said it, I, I did get to take a, a nice visit to the Swain County Memorial Hospital um, where, might I add, only a two-minute wait time for the ER. So I did pretty well. Not not too shabby, sir. You get, you get some good drugs. They give you some nice morphine. <sighs> it was worth a bump. There you go. That's what I like to hear. Tulls of drugs abound here on the all-new sports show as we're getting out of here. So for McCulloch, Wes Bradshaw, and producer Des, I am Edward Green. Thank you so much for joining us here this week on the all-new sports of the podcast. We'll see you next week, and go, go, USA. We're behind you, ladies. Bring it home. Good night, Japan. Sleep tight, because the U.S. is coming. We're coming for you. England may have fallen, but we're coming to pick them up. Allies are still alive. Oh, yes. Oh, World War II has never actually stopped. Not for us. <laughs> never for us. Oh,